In the name of the one true and living God, our Creator, our Redeemer, and our Sustainer. Amen. A widower had some raspberry bushes. And the first summer after his wife died, a lady from his church came and asked if she could come and pick the raspberries. She knew that his wife had grown the bushes from young canes that came from the mail-order catalog into healthy shrubs laden with fruit. They have to be picked, you know, if you want them to keep producing, she explained, and I want to make you a pie. You don't get raspberries often because it takes a whole lot of berries to do anything with them. And you have a whole lot of raspberries just waiting to be made into a pie. She picked the berries in the morning and returned in the afternoon with the pie. Homemade crust, red raspberries and filling oozing through the lattice that crisscrossed the top of the pie. And it was all still warm. Enjoy a piece with me, he asked. I can't eat an entire pie by myself. He poured each of them a glass of milk and cut two pieces of pie. It was marvelous, sweet, gooey, tart, with the tender, flaky crust around it. He thanked her profusely for this marvelous gift. He could have eaten the pie piece by piece all by himself, but he was inspired with another idea. He packed up the pie and went to visit a friend. Here, have a piece of pie, he said. He sliced a piece and put it on one of the paper plates that he had brought with him. I won't stay long, but I think you'll enjoy this. They visited while the friend ate the pie. A small piece, but enough to taste the richness of this baked masterpiece. He thought next of who might actually not just enjoy a piece of pie, but need the pie who might need some simple pleasure as a manifestation of care and love in edible form. The pie was too good not to share. So he spent the rest of the day sharing the pie, slice by modest slice from person to person. He and those with whom he shared it found that even a small piece could convey the essence of it. Sunshine, rain, earth, abundance, creativity, and compassion. He came to think of it as communion by pie, all made possible by the care and compassion of a church the churchwoman had for the widower in his grief and loneliness. It's just human nature in an emotionally mature person to want to reciprocate kindness. In some people, though, there's a desire to go beyond giving something back to a giver. We want to surprise someone else with an unexpected blessing, as we have been surprised. And if that person is similarly motivated, a single blessing can multiply itself exponentially from person to person to person, rather like dropping a pebble into a still pond and watching the ripples spreading out to touch the farthest shore. Kindness can be as contagious as selfishness. It all depends upon the choices we make as recipients of special blessings. 
We meet Jesus in today's gospel just after he has fed the 5,000 with five barley loaves and two fish. Many of us have known this story from childhood. It's the only public miracle recorded in all four gospels. But in John's gospel, it conveys a unique message. On one level, it's a story of a miraculous feeding of a great number of people with a very meager supply of food. But on another level, the story points to the church's ongoing celebration of Eucharist. At the end of the chapter, chapter 6, which follows the feeding miracle, John gives us a summary of everything Jesus has been trying to say up to this point. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I am them. Now you can see, can't you, where the Catholic Church gets their doctrine of transubstantiation. And we'll talk more about that next time. We need to be careful not to take this too literally, as did the people who were miraculously fed on the hillside that day. They thought for sure they had found the long-expected one, the Messiah, who was to come so that he could fill their stomachs and satisfy their hunger with such abundance. Just as Satan had predicted in his temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, the world was at the feet of anyone who could dazzle spectators and fill their hungry stomachs. So when they find Jesus the next day on the other side of the lake, Jesus says to them, You are looking for me not because you witnessed the power and compassion of God, but because you ate your fill of the food. Then begins a dialogue between Jesus and those who are looking for their next meal in which they talk past each other. The crowd is seeking only a daily supply of Pepperidge Farm, or the first century equivalent of the same. Jesus is probably by now wishing he had never fed them because he's trying to convince them there is something more valuable than a fish sandwich. And that something is everlasting life. They can't hear what he is offering them because they're so fixated on how they're going to satisfy their ever-returning hunger and the hunger of their children. I'm reminded of a, small, of a conversation with a small child about her pet kitten. Oh, look, I said, the kitty is asleep, all curled up in a little ball. And the child replied, what ball? I don't see a ball. That's a three-year-old for you. It takes a certain amount of life experience to understand the use of metaphor in communication. And Jesus used metaphor liberally, sometimes exclusively in his parables, as we see from today's reading. Jesus says, don't work for the food that doesn't last. Work for the food that endures for eternal life. Immediately they turned his words around to me. They had to earn God's favor with good works or rituals, 
What must we do to do the works of God, they ask. This is the work of God, that you believe in the one God has sent, Jesus replies. Well, what miracle will you do so that we can believe in you? It seems they have forgotten he fed more than 5,000 of them just yesterday with somebody's sack lunch. But what have you done for us lately, they might have said. Our ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness because Moses gave them bread to eat. But what have you done? Jesus says, I assure you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who will give to you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, oh, sir, give us this bread all the time. But they still didn't comprehend what Jesus was trying to tell them. And when we get to the end of chapter 6, we find them grumbling about what Jesus said. They were still believing only with their bellies and not with their hearts. They weren't going to be satisfied with anything less than a truckload of bakery goods on a daily basis. Our words, final words in this passion are this. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. But the following verse adds, but I told you, you have seen me and you still don't believe. It's a sad passage about the human condition. Jesus wants to come and abide in us, to dwell in our hearts, that we might know his forgiveness, his peace, his healing grace. And all the time we are praying, Lord, I really need a parking place in the mall today. Would you please ask somebody to move their car? Or Lord, please don't let it rain on Susie's birthday party. Or Lord, please make the business meeting go smoothly tomorrow. And it's not that God doesn't care about the details in our lives, but that God wants to give us so much more than we can ask or even imagine. God wants to give us God's self. To perform the works of God, as John calls it, we are to believe in. That means to totally trust, to lay down our lives for this Jesus whom God has sent. As long as we clamor for something else, we will never know the full sufficiency of God's love and grace, which can enliven our souls for all eternity. Jesus told his followers, he wanted them to enjoy the same perfect union with God that he had with his Father in heaven through the Holy Spirit. In other words, he wanted us to be in Christ. But to live in Christ, Christ has to be in us. And while this may happen in many different ways, including the sharing of a raspberry pie, the one place we see it most clearly and feel it most deeply is at the Lord's table. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, here Jesus abides in us and we in him. Christ enters our minds and our hearts spiritually, just as surely as the physical elements of bread and wine enter our bodies when we eat and drink with faith and receive the elements of communion with thanksgiving. 
Even if we do this just virtually, as many of you watching from home will do this morning. That's what Jesus was trying to say, not only to those in the first century, but to all of his followers, far down the eons of time to the present moment. When taken in faith, the broken bread and poured out cup bring union with Christ and with all who love him. Maybe even with all who do not love him, for the love poured out and represented at this table is not only for us, but for the whole world. Christ did not die on Calvary for Christians only, but for all people, for all time, even for those poor, dense souls who just don't get it. A Protestant pastor of another tradition saw this vividly when in Greece, on a journeys of St. Paul pilgrimage, he happened to be in Athens in March on May Day, a day celebrating the Mother of Our Lord. Churches were filled to overflowing, standing room only for this three-hour service, not something that we see often in the United States. Throughout the service, there were the mysterious sights and sounds of Greek Orthodox priests and cantors. The surprise came with the distribution of communion. Huge baskets of bread, piled high, were lifted up above the heads of young men, carrying them around the church. And when the pastor and his group left the church, they saw baskets of leftover communion bread placed outside on the church steps, where anyone who wanted to take it was welcome to come, take as much as they desired. No locking up in a little box in the, out here. No locking Jesus up, but sending him out on the streets to meet the needs of hungry people exactly where he went of his own volition when he walked this earth incarnate. One elderly lady was filling a couple of Ziploc bags with bread from the feast, which may have been her food for the whole day, maybe for the next day too. Whatever scholars may say about the connection between the feeding of the 5,000 and the Last Supper, the Eucharist, this pastor saw it with his own eyes that that connection still exists in our own time. So those inside the church and those outside went home satisfied that day. We all know the familiar expression, you are what you eat. When we take in the life of Jesus in this sacrament, we take in his patience, his forgiveness, his compassion for others, his gentleness and his truth. In exchange for his love and redemption, we offer our lives, our souls and bodies as a living sacrifice. We offer the broken places in our lives that need healing. We offer our hunger and thirst, our spiritual hunger and thirst to be satisfied with spiritual food and drink in abundance. We find in Christ the reign of God breaking into the here and now, an eternal king of love, whose sovereignty transforms our immature human tendencies towards selfishness into generous channels of gracious self-giving. And as we have seen, even one act of kindness when replicated by a recipient, can spread like a good contagion, a good kind of virus 
that can change the corner of the world in which we live, from person to person to person. When we choose to live in Christ, we choose to live in love forever, in this life and in the age to come, where we will feast with our Lord and with all those we have loved on earth in the kingdom of abundant joy. Amen.